In a previous episode, we covered the scary state of syphilis that had to do with the unbelievable rate of rise of syphilis in the U.S., despite national attempts to try to curb it. In that episode, we talked about how we learned that syphilis was kind of this linear disease in progression. And for the majority of cases, that's absolutely correct. First degree or first stage comes before second stage, and second stage syphilis comes before third stage of syphilis. That's right. But somehow, some of us, like myself, learned that neurosyphilis somehow happened at the end of disease, like after third stage. It was third stage plus. The truth is, neurosyphilis can occur at any stage of the syphilis incubation or infection period. And that's why learning things as a line sometimes isn't really all that accurate. Well, it's exactly the same story with help and hypertensive disorders of pregnancy. So follow me here. Remember, on the one end, let's say at the far left hand of the extreme, we have gestational hypertension, right? That's hypertension that's not severe, no protein issues, and nothing else is going on. Okay. And then as we progress towards the right, now we have proteinuric hypertension, otherwise called preeclampsia. Now, if preeclampsia is really severe, either by blood pressure, symptoms, lab abnormalities, or pulmonary edema, then of course we have preeclampsia with severe features. And as we move even more to the right in its progression, if those labs become real abnormal, then we get HELP syndrome, right? I mean, we learned that that's the spectrum of hypertensive disorders of pregnancy. And in the vast majority of cases, that's absolutely fair. That's correct. But HELP syndrome can actually occur anywhere on that continuum. Yep, it can actually occur even all the way to the left before gestational hypertension. We're going to get into that in this episode, and we're going to discuss why sometimes what you remember and what you think of a disease process isn't always correct. So in this episode, let's tackle the otherwise known as atypical HELP. In other words, HELP syndrome with normal blood pressure or even the absence of protein. Is that possible? We're going to explain it in this episode. And here's a question for you. If there is normotensive HELP syndrome, does that still require MAG? Well, we're going to answer that right now. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves real fast. This is Clinical Pearls. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here's how this picture can get really confusing real quick. So follow this clinical hypothetical scenario. There's a patient who arrives in labor and delivery. She's going to get her scheduled induction at 39 weeks. No pregnancy issues. She feels fine and she's normotensive. On her admission CBC, you find that her platelets are actually low. Not up under 100,000 where it'd be severe, but between 100,000 and 150,000 is still considered slightly low. So that's mild thrombocytopenia. All right, so you think that's gestational thrombocytopenia, no big deal, still can get her epidural because we're above 70,000. Um, but, you know, just to be thorough, we, you check other labs and you check the manual on the CBC. 
Well, CBC comes back with evidence of hemolysis. You also notice on her complete metabolic profile that her liver function is twice normal. uh, And her creatinine is a little elevated. Let's say it's at 1.0, not quite the 1.1. Well, now you have hemolysis, elevated liver enzymes, and low platelets. By definition, she has HELP syndrome. Now, her pressures are normal and she feels otherwise okay. Well, what do you do with that? See how complicated it is? Because on the one hand, you're like, well, she's completely normal tensive. I mean, you surely can't have help without preeclampsia, right? No, you definitely can have help without preeclampsia. And we're going to explain it again in this episode. But you see how interesting that is? The whole point is, if you ever see a patient with thrombocytopenia, don't automatically go, oh, it's just mild numbers, it's probably gestational, or they're clumped on the analyzer. While that's totally valid and likely true, Don't stop there. You can always repeat the CBC, ask for a manual, look for evidence of hemolysis. I'm going to give you what that lab is in just a minute to make sure nothing else is going on. Always a good idea in a patient with thrombocytopenia to get a CMP to make sure liver enzymes aren't creeping up as well as a subclinical HELP syndrome that, if left untreated, will become a clinical HELP syndrome. So it is very interesting because I always learned that HELP was at the end of preeclampsia, always hypertensive. And of course, we know now from published data, I mean, ACOG says this, SMFM, the California Maternal Quality Care Collaborative says this, we know this, that that's not always the case. Help can happen by itself. Now, here's another question and we're going to answer in this episode. If it lives by itself, just by lab criteria, right? Hemolysis, elevated liver enzymes, low platelets. Is it still part of the hypertensive disorders of pregnancy spectrum? The short answer is absolutely. Yes, it is. We're going to get into that a little bit more. Since thrombocytopenia, low platelets, is one of the hallmarks of HELP, I mean, that's the LP in HELP, let's just cover thrombocytopenia real quick. And as a quick reminder, ACOG covers this in the March 2019 Practice Bulletin, which is number 207. As the college reminds us, the normal range of platelet counts in those who are not pregnant is around 165 to about 400,000 platelets. But it's different in pregnancy. In pregnancy, thrombocytopenia has been defined as a platelet count less than 150,000. But that's a lab criteria. Significant or morbid thrombocytopenia in pregnancy is under 100,000. Remember, that's the criteria for severe preeclampsia or preeclampsia with severe features. So you've got this range of 100,000 to 150,000 that's considered mild thrombocytopenia. And remember that there's a gradual decrease as pregnancy progresses in the number of platelets. Some of that is volume uh, dilution. So like everything else, like coagulation factors, that some of them increase in pregnancy, not necessarily the case with platelets, all right? There is a gradual decrease in the number of platelets as pregnancy progresses. Women in the third trimester of pregnancy have significantly lower mean platelet levels than non-pregnant women. Remember that the college also recommends a minimum of around 50,000 platelets if you're going to do an operative surgical intervention like a C-section. And for vaginal delivery, it's recommended to have at least 20,000 platelets. If not, then you'd have to get a, a platelet transfusion. Now, this is assuming, of course, that there's nothing else going on. It's not ITP or TTP, but we're talking about helping this situation, okay, in this episode. I just wanted to review quickly what we're talking about when we talk about the LP in HELP, the low platelets, all right? So at least 20,000 for vaginal delivery, 50,000 for uh, C-section. 
But if you're going to do regional anesthesia, while it used to be 100,000, that number now came down to 70,000. Now, that's from an OB standpoint. Anesthesia may say something different. They usually use around 75,000. But ACOG says really about 70,000 is your minimum for regional anesthesia without risking any kind of weird, uh, you know, subdural or epidural, you know, hematoma in the um, spinal column. So 20, 50, and 70 or 75 based on who you read. Now, remember, of course, that those benchmarks of when to transfuse are if she's asymptomatic and there's nothing going on. I mean, obviously, if her platelets are 30,000 and she's bleeding, for heaven's sakes, I mean, give her some platelets. But in general, if she's asymptomatic, it's 20 and then 50 and then 70. And not everybody agrees on those. But in general, that's kind of SMFM's idea uh, just to keep the patient safe. The truth is that there really is no set number that's universally agreed upon of when treatment or transfusion should be given prophylactically. Everybody agrees on when transfusion of platelets should be given therapeutically, that's if you got low platelets and you're bleeding, brain blow. I mean, wow, never figured that out. <laughs> but otherwise, if you're asymptomatic, uh, those are the numbers. I think I've talked about this enough. All right, now let's get back to help. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Oh, I think I forgot to mention this. By the way, our resources for this episode come from ACOG's Practice Bulletin, which is number 222 on gestational hypertension and preeclampsia. We already mentioned ACOG's Practice Bulletin on thrombocytopenia, which is number 207. And data also comes from the California Maternal Quality Care Collaborative, which is the CMQCC, and their data set, their bundle for hypertensive disorders in pregnancy. Traditionally, as we said in the intro, hemolysis, elevated liver enzymes, and low platelets, or HELP syndrome, is suggested when women with preeclampsia with severe features develop hepatic and hematological manifestations as the predominant clinical picture associated with lab abnormalities. In other words, there's hemolysis, elevated liver enzymes, and you guessed it, low platelets. We're going to give you the lab specific on what the hemolysis lab tests look like in just a minute. But remember that this is traditionally associated with preeclampsia with severe features. But here's the first clinical pearl. HELP syndrome can occur without hypertension or proteinuria. I've sat in conferences where people have debated this. I love academic medicine, right? I mean, you could take one little issue and then you talk about it for like two hours. And as long as there's coffee around, hey, I'll stick around for it. The discussion was, well, wait a minute, if help by a diagnostic criteria is lab-based, right, hemolysis, elevated liver enzymes, and low platelets, that H is not hypertension. So if help is just that by itself, then is that really part of the hypertensive spectrum? Does it still fit on that little line? And should we just treat it as a separate condition? Well, despite all of the discussion, if you take a look at the data, because the pathophysiology is likely the same, and in some cases, I'm going to give you those numbers in a minute, these lab abnormalities precede the development of hypertension. Yeah, that comes out later, even postpartum. There is that built-in tie, that link to hypertension. Here's the pearl. 
it is thought that this is not a separate disorder. So don't walk away, guys, thinking that help is its own box. Help, even though it can exist without hypertension or proteinuria, it is still on that spectrum, on that little slider of gestational hypertension on one end to preeclampsia with severe features on the other. Help still fits on that line. I like to think of help uh, like the a little slider on the wire uh, or in the old school scales where you kind of move the little weight down and then it kind of balances out. Yes, that one time there were not digital scales, and I wasn't born like in the 50s, okay? This wasn't that long ago. Actually, metal scales are a lot more sensitive, more accurate than a digital scale. But nonetheless, uh, I always think about that, that that bar is kind of hypertensive disorders, uh, and then that little slider is help, and it can be anywhere on that continuum. So the short of it is, help is still part of the preeclampsia hypertensive disorders of pregnancy spectrum, even though it may exist without proteinuria or hypertension. Remember that HELP syndrome is one of five clinical conditions that are contraindications to expected management of preeclampsia. The other four conditions are eclampsia, pulmonary edema, severe thrombocytopenia in and of itself, and coagulopathy. Any of those or HELP syndrome are contraindications to expected management. However, that doesn't mean that antenatal corticosteroids don't have a role. So in a patient who's under 34 weeks and zero days, antenatal corticosteroids can still be given for fetal lung maturity because that's not delaying delivery. That's not expected management. That's active intervention as you plan for delivery. So in a patient who's otherwise stable, corticosteroids for fetal lung maturity are still allowed, as long as the fetal and maternal condition are okay and they're stable, to allow for fetal lung maturation if the patient is under 33 weeks and 6 days. Okay, now that we've laid down that ground rule, I'm going to come back and talk about the three different classes of help because class 1 is technically the worst and class 3 is more of a milder presentation. We're going to talk about management here specifically coming up and we're going to talk about which lab features actually suggest hemolysis. Let's do that next. Before we get into the three classes of HELP syndrome and talk about the atypical variety, a quick word about hemolysis based on lab findings. The diagnostic criteria, according to the CMQCC, for hemolysis documentation is an elevated LDH value greater than 600, microangiopathic hemolytic anemia on a peripheral blood smear, low haptoglobin levels less than 25, and elevated indirect bilirubin. All right, so those are the four items, elevated LDH, microangiopathic hemolytic anemia on peripheral blood smear, low haptoglobin under 25, and then the fourth thing is elevated indirect bilirubin. All professional societies agree that HELP syndrome is a variant of preeclampsia with severe features characterized by red blood cell hemolysis, thrombocytopenia, and abnormal elevations in liver transaminases. The CMQCC recognizes three classes of HELP syndrome characterized by severity of the lab abnormalities and the risk for significant adverse perinatal outcomes based on the patient's platelet count. So that's a clinical pearl. The different classes of HELP, one, two, or three, are determined based on the platelet count. The most severe manifestation has platelet counts under 50,000, and that's class one HELP. 
class 2 help has playlists between 50,000 and 100,000. And then class 3 is mild thrombocytopenia defined as a platelet nadir between 100,000 and 150,000. The severity of maternal, fetal, and neonatal morbidity is correlated with the severity of the disease. And remember, while that severity of disease can include hypertension, it doesn't have to. About 10 to 15% of patients with classic HELP syndrome will not have elevated blood pressures over 140 over 90. That's 10 to 15%. And like other forms of preeclampsia with severe features, proteinuria can be absent anywhere from 15 to 25% of the time. Even though we've said before, I have to say it again, the presence of proteinuria or elevated blood pressure is not essential for the diagnosis of HELP syndrome. And in those patients without classic features, the presence of subjective symptoms like headache or epigastric pain, nausea or vomiting or visual disturbances should prompt further evaluation to rule out progression of disease that requires urgent delivery. All right, podcast family, here's a clinical pearl and why these patients still require magnesium sulfate even if their blood pressures are normal or mildly hypertensive. The frequency of seizures or eclampsia ranges from 5 to 12% in preeclampsia with severe features or HELP syndrome of any degree. So even though they can have HELP syndrome otherwise considered mild, which is class 3, they are still at increased risk of seizures or eclampsia. So just to be clear, all classes of HELP, 1, 2, or 3, still require magnesium sulfate, even though some have argued that if they're not hypertensive, they don't have cerebral vasodilation and dysregulation, they probably don't need it. The current opinion, ACOG, SMFM, CMQCC state that HELP syndrome still requires magnesium sulfate. And it's not just the eclampsia, the seizures that's related to HELP. I mean, this does carry other maternal and neonatal morbid conditions. The rate of preterm birth is high. There's a risk of maternal death that's been estimated at about 1% with HELP syndrome. And they do tend to have higher rates of DIC, pulmonary edema, acute renal failure, and even ARDS. So don't take HELP for something that's lied, just a lab abnormality. HELP equals sickness. Help equals sickness. So you got to intervene, all right? But that's just it, isn't it? Help syndrome is based on lab criteria, and it's easier when the patient is hypertensive, she's got a severe headache, or she's got superimposed preeclampsia on chronic. I mean, that makes sense. But when the patient is completely normotensive and non-proteinuric, that's where it can get confusing. Now, it's still required, it's still evidence-based to rule out other conditions. So if there's lab abnormalities consistent with HELP, I mean, you should still consider a right upper quadrant ultrasound to look for fatty infiltration because fatty liver disease is something else that can mimic HELP syndrome. Make sure it's not hemolytic uremic syndrome or HUS or thrombotic thrombocytopenic purpura. We still have to do our work, our due diligence to make sure nothing else is going on. And that's where LDH can help. LDH is almost not helpful at any other time, but in the clinical picture of HELP syndrome, an elevated lactic dehydrogenase level with minimal elevation of AST should point you in another direction. In those cases, TTP or HUS should be considered in patients who have thrombocytopenia, severe anemia, and that elevated LDH with minimal elevation of AST. All right, so it's all or none. So elevated liver enzymes and low platelets all should be together. Otherwise, look for something else. 
a history of proteinuria or hypertension prior to the onset of hemolysis, liver abnormalities, and thrombocytopenia favor the diagnosis of preeclampsia with severe features or HELP syndrome, while high LDH levels with only modest elevations of AST favors TTP. The distinction between TTP or HUS with preeclampsia and severe features or HELP has to be done because it's an important issue here for not just intervention, but for prognostic reasons. This is because TTP would generally be treated with plasmapheresis rather than delivery. But again, we really don't want to miss the occurrence of HELP syndrome because it's very morbid. So while you can consider the other options, it's always safe, especially if the patient is near term, to just deliver and then do the follow-up peripartum because we don't want to sit on HELP syndrome looking for something else for too long. All right, podcast family, as we get ready to end the episode, just a quick reminder that sometimes these lab abnormalities precedes hypertension. Remember at the intro, I said it actually can be to the left of gestational hypertension, so to speak. In other words, predate it, pre-time it. And that's absolutely correct. The same goes for proteinuria. Proteinuria in the absence of hypertension may be the first manifestation of disease in the sequence leading to preeclampsia. So don't take an isolated finding as, oh, it's just isolated, doesn't mean anything. When we're talking about the hypertensive disorders of pregnancy as a spectrum, believe them, act on it, right? We have that national mandate from the nursing organization from AOAN uh, and even from SMFM that if you see the pressure, believe it. <laughs> I mean, treat it. Don't attribute it to, oh, she's just anxious or a pain issue. While that may be true, we don't want to mask and undertreat a potential morbid condition like a severe blood pressure. Well, the same goes here for lab abnormalities. If you see it, believe it. Do an evaluation for it. But if you're left with HELP syndrome as the only possible and probable diagnosis, then believe it and act on it. Okay. Well, podcast family, that brings us to a wrap. So can you have HELP syndrome without hypertension? Absolutely. Do these patients still require magnesium sulfate? Well, even though that's been debated in some circles, the answer is uniformly and universally yes, because HELP syndrome is a very morbid condition that usually is associated with high blood pressure or potenuria, but it may actually occur before the hypertension expresses itself. All right, podcast family, that's it. As always, we're thankful for you and we're glad that you're part of our podcast community. We'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls. Thank you.